This is the illustration for today. It's our alarm clock. And if you forget everything that I say, remember this. Morning is coming. The alarm clock is ringing. There is a great story about Billy Graham, uh, that, 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 that amazing evangelist that is told by Eric Delve, who was an evangelist in the United Kingdom. Eric Delve went to a conference where Billy Graham was speaking, and he said, there, there all they were, the little evangelists listening to the big evangelist. And the big evangelist, Billy Graham, stood up and he said, I've been reading in a book about how you're meant to get up in the morning. The alarm clock goes off and you throw back the blankets, he said. You jump out of bed, you go to the window, you open the window wide, you take three deep breaths and you say, God, it's good to be alive. And Eric Delve said, and he and all these little evangelists looked up at Big Billy, and they said, that's how Big Billy gets up in the morning. And Billy Graham said, I can't do that. I need a cup of coffee first. <laughs> well, the alarm clock is ringing. Now is not the time to be pulling the duvet over your head. It's the time to wake up. Now is the moment for you to wake from sleep. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Wake up. Hold on to the truth that Jesus will return. Therefore, says Matthew, Jesus in Matthew, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming. The crucified and risen and ascended Jesus will return again to this creation as king and he will bring in God's kingdom in all its fullness. We say in our creed, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I used to struggle with the idea of the return of the Lord Jesus. How could it be possible if he returns in Jerusalem, how would we know here in Moscow? How will it work if we've already died? Will people float up into the air to meet with Jesus as he returns to the earth? Will he come down, you know, like a rocket or that's been up there on a parachute? The problem is, is that it is foolish to try and imagine how it will be. Unless we are genius mathematicians, and I suspect there are two or three here, we can only think in three or at best four dimensions if we include time. But because the return of the Lord Jesus will be bigger than dimensions, because it will be the end of space and time as we know it, it will be beyond our imagination. So what the Bible does is it gives us picture language, and that is enough for us. When we experience the actual event, we'll be able to say, yes, 
I understand now what the Bible said is true, but it will be so much bigger, so much more amazing. At the moment, we're like two-dimensional cartoon characters, trying to imagine what the person who drew them is really like. They might be shown a picture, a photo of the person, and they think, ah, that is what they are like. But when they are transformed and when they can see in three dimensions, they will realize that the person is like their picture, but is so much more than their picture. So I've given up trying to work out what it will be like, but I hold on to the truth that one day, one day, time and space as we know it will come to an end as the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And secondly, we need to wake up and hold on to the truth that Jesus Christ will return at the right time. Only God knows when that will be. Please be very cautious about any organisation or individual who claims to know when Jesus Christ will return. The only thing we're told about when it will happen is that nobody will know and that it will be at the time that no one expects. The Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour, Jesus says. Matthew implies that even Noah wasn't fully aware. Noah knew there would be a flood and he prepared for that by building an ark. But he didn't know when the flood would happen and as for the other people at the time, no doubt they thought that Noah was crazy preparing for a flood. They carried on, it said, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, getting on with life. And then the flood came. Or another illustration Jesus uses, the robber is coming to burgle your flat. He doesn't ring you the day before and say, by the way, I'm coming to do your flat at two o'clock tomorrow morning. It's interesting that there are not that many of the sayings of Jesus that are directly quoted in the letters of the New Testament. But Peter does remember this saying when he writes about the return of the Lord Jesus. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Of course, it's 2,000 years since Paul wrote, since Peter wrote, and Christ has not yet returned. And there are times when we think we could really do with a saviour right now. <laughs> the news seems to get worse each day. Many people see no hope for the future, and we wonder why God delays. But we have to remember that both in history people have suffered, and today, in other parts of the world, people are suffering far, far worse things than what we might be going through. And God is still in control of history. In our Tuesday Zoom Bible study, we've been looking at 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter 3, Peter writes to Christians who are facing dreadful suffering for their faith. Some of them were being tortured and executed. And some in the community are complaining that God is slow in coming. They're saying, where is he? 
And Peter, in chapter 3, speaks about how God's timing is very different to ours. How one day to God, one day to God is like a thousand years to us. And that what we think is a delay is in fact God's patience. Jesus Christ doesn't yet return because he longs for all, maybe even those who are not yet born, to be saved. But we need to wake up because it will happen and it could happen any moment. The night is far gone. The day is near. As Paul says, our salvation is now closer than when we became believers. I guess that's pretty obvious, but anyway. We see glimpses of the kingdom of God here and now. But at the right time, we will see that promised kingdom of God that we read about, uh, that, that Elena read for us, where there is peace where nations and people are at harmony one with another, and we'll see the kingdom of God come in all its fullness. And we continue to long and we continue to pray, your kingdom come. Thirdly, wake up. Hold on to the truth that when he comes, there will be judgment. The coming of the Son of Man will be a time of judgment and division. Some will be taken and some will be left. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Now please remember what I've said. The Bible has to use picture language to explain a reality that is so much bigger than what we can imagine. But people speak of this as the rapture. Books have been written trying to imagine the unimaginable. Some have gone further. I gather that in the United States, there was such a thing as rapture pet care insurance. Because what happens to your animals if one of you, if you are one of the ones who gets taken? Well, you can insure them, and someone, one of the people not taken, will look after them. We have a saying in English, a fool and their money are quickly parted. More seriously, though, Jesus is saying that when he returns, there will be a separation. Some will be taken, some will be left, some will be with him, some will not. There, there is no third option. At some point, we need to have made a decision about whose side we're on. And we need to wake up we do not want to find in the end that we have been sleepwalking onto the wrong side. And fourthly, wake up and live as people of light. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us live honourably as in the day, not in revelling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarrelling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't give up on God. Don't grow weary in doing good. Persist in worship, in daily prayer and Bible reading, in coming to receive God's word, in coming to receive communion, in receiving God's blessing and in blessing God. Persist in living godly lives, in living honourably as in the day. 
It's not about treating the world as if it is one big party with no thought for tomorrow. That's a challenge to the philosophy which says, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Or perhaps we might meet it in a slightly different expression way this, today. It is, you only have one life, so do what makes you happy. No, that is not true. There is life here which is to be lived to the full and for which we praise God. It is life version one. But there is another life, Mike would call it life version two, a deeper, richer, bigger life which we can begin to experience here and now. And one day when Jesus returns, when the King comes, we will experience in all its fullness. And for the sake of that life, there are times when we need to hold back on the things of this life. And yes, that does mean staking your life on that conviction. Indeed, Paul says at one point, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead and there's no resurrection, and Christians who are living for this life version two, and there's no life version two, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. It means we try not to give in to our lusts or satisfy our desires with the things of this life, this world. It means that we recognize that there are boundaries and limits, and that if we go beyond those limits, we will be destroying others and destroying ourselves. It means we try to live at peace with each other, not jealous of others or quarrelling with them. We don't always need to make our point or get one over them or prove that we are bigger than them. Instead, we are called to put on the Lord Jesus. It's a bit like we put on the cloak of the Lord Jesus. We put on his uniform. I still remember, after I was ordained, and um, st I started to wear the dog collar. And for the first few months, it, it, it doesn't really happen here, but, it, but priests in, in, in the United Kingdom, you, you tend to wear a dog collar around, and it says to people, you're a vicar. I guess here, here priests will, will wear the cassock. But I was wearing the dog collar. For the first few months, I was incredibly self-conscious. I'd become a public Christian. What happened if I drove badly? What would people say about me? No, what would people say about Jesus? What would happen if, what happens if I lost my temper or, or did something I shouldn't do? What would people say about me? No, what would people say about Jesus? And then there was the time when I was in the supermarket with one of our boys. I can't remember which one, which is probably a good thing because they decided to have a fissy hit, a tantrum in the middle of the crisp aisle. And there they were, lying on the floor, screaming. And there I was, on my own, wearing my dog collar. And I thought, if I wasn't wearing my dog collar, this would be bad enough. But actually, I am wearing my dog collar. Oh no, what will people think of me? 
They'll, they'll think I, I'm such a terrible father. Or they, they'll, they'll think I'm abusing, I'm abusing this child. What was I to do? So I came to a very quick conclusion. I pulled off the dog collar. (laughs) (laughs) To put on Jesus is not like that. There is a story that Jesus tells of a banquet. It's a banquet for beggars to which the poor, blind and lame are invited. And to each one, because they are wearing torn and tattered rags, it is a gift of a glorious, precious robe is given. But when the Lord of the banquet comes to visit the banquet, he sees that one of the guests is not wearing the robe. We don't know why. Maybe he didn't think he needed it, or it was not good enough for him, or it didn't mark him out as sufficiently different from all the rest. Maybe he thought his own clothes were good enough. But because he is not willing to wear the robe, he is cast out of the banquet. To put on the Lord Jesus is to recognise that our clothes are torn and tattered, We really do have nothing to wear to the party. We are not good enough or clean enough or religious enough. We're not good enough parents or partners or vicars or believers. But it's okay because he loves us and he's taken off his robe and he gives it to us and we put on the Lord Jesus. Uh, and when we wear his robe, then we, want to, we begin to want to live like him. It's about asking him to fill us with his spirit so that we're conscious of him, that he is with us, beside us, in us, so that we become aware of God our Father, so that we see things as he sees them and desire things as he desires them. It's about trusting him. This is the key. It's about trusting him and not trusting ourselves. So yes, the night is long. It seems that for hours we haven't been able to get to sleep. We've been tossing and turning. Even now it's still very dark. But the alarm clock has rung. Morning is coming. Wake up. Wake up. He is coming. He will come at the right time, unexpected. There will be judgment, and we are called to live as children of light. Wake up, morning is coming. Or in the words of our Benedictus, which have been very precious for me over the past uh, nine months or so, in the compassion of God, the dawn from on high is breaking upon us. He is very close.